This is the Artisan CEO Podcast, Season 4, Episode 10. On this episode, we'll be talking about how to turn off work when you're not in the office in order to be more present for life happening around you. We'll be covering three practical steps I take to limit screen time, to not only preserve time with my family, but to keep me from sinking into the endless loop of thinking about work 24-7. That's a tall order as a small business owner, so let's dig in. Welcome to the Artisan CEO, where the art of photography meets the business of profits. This is where strategy and craftsmanship coexist so that you can run a creative business that supports a life you love. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I promise to give it to you straight. I got my first smartphone in 2010. It was given to me by my corporate job. It was intended to allow me to answer emails when not sitting at my desk. It's not a revolutionary concept, right? So as a junior level employee, there wasn't really many occasions where I was required to answer email after work hours, but what I did love was checking the news. <laughs> I would refresh my favorite news sites over and over just to read the latest headlines and updates. Once my business began to take off and I bought an iPhone, then I got hooked on checking my email. There was this thrill of opening up my inbox and the potential that there might be a new inquiry waiting for me. Turns out that the research has shown that checking your email actually delivers a similar dopamine hit to pulling the lever on a slot machine. It's that excitement of, ooh, maybe this time I'll win big. So I checked my email constantly. Like, thank goodness it wasn't a slot machine. It would have been a lot more expensive, but I did check my email constantly. First thing in the morning, throughout the workday, in the evenings, right before I went to bed. I remember I was at a workshop in 2012 and I told Mary Morantz, I said this with pride, I told her I received an inquiry via my inbox on my phone at like 10 or 11 p.m. on a Saturday and then I immediately fired up my laptop to answer that inquiry. And I expected Mary to be impressed by my commitment to being an email superstar. And instead, she raised an eyebrow and said gently something to the effect of, but doesn't that just teach your clients to expect a response at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night? which I had not considered, and it turns out she was totally right. So I realized I needed to make some adjustments because in addition to inbox addiction potentially affecting my relationships with my loved ones, it could also set me up for failure with my clients. And that's the big idea of today's episode, that we have to learn to turn off work when needed instead of allowing it to blur the lines of work versus personal time bleeding into every free hour that we possess. And the benefit to doing this, to learning to do this, you will see those effects in your personal life and in your professional life. If you're in the U.S., we live in a country that glorifies busy. Like, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. Or, hey, do you want to get together? Oh, I can't. I'm super busy right now. I live in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and everyone is just busy, busy, busy all the time. Maybe that's you, and maybe it isn't, but regardless of how packed or otherwise your schedule might be, don't you want to be not only bodily present, but also mentally and emotionally present when you're spending time with people that you love to be able to give them the best of your attention so that they can know by your words and your actions that they matter more than your work. We all carry around these mini computers in our pockets called smartphones that we use both for our personal life and for our work, and our world is more connected than it has ever been before. And when we don't make an effort to separate work from personal life, that line between the two gets blurred into oblivion, and you end up always thinking about work, especially as small business owners, when what we do feels so personal. 
Real quick, photographers, are you tired of lather, rinse, and repeating the same tired collection of forgettable photos from one brand session to the next? If you're ready to turn yawn-worthy galleries into the sort of results that thrill your clients and get you both noticed, then you're definitely gonna wanna join me for my free training, The Backstage Secret to Scroll-Stopping Brand Photography. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're just getting started out in the world of branding, this session is for you. I'll teach you my number one strategy for crafting stories that resonate with your clients and their audience, which is the biggest secret behind creating galleries that not only look stunning, but also drive engagement and sales for your clients, which, spoiler alert, is what keeps them coming back for additional sessions in the future. Because as brand photographers, purposeful matters more than pretty, but who says you can't have both? Our job is to think like a marketer and shoot like an artist, but you have to have both pieces of that equation and learning to approach with the mindset of a strategist that changes everything. So if you're raring to say goodbye to cliche galleries that simply repeat what's already clogging your Pinterest and social media and hello to a method that drives brand loyalty and real bottom line growth, then head on over to abbygrace.co slash training. That's abbygrace.co slash training. It's time to leave those forgettable, smiling at a laptop photos in the dust in favor of a more tailored approach that's gonna leave your clients obsessed and already planning for their next shoot with you. One more time, that's abbygrace.co slash training. I'll see you in class. If you're constantly getting notifications on your phone about email and social media comments and Voxers, then you're never really fully out of the office, which also makes it hard to be fully in the office because you haven't given yourself a break. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That is true in both love and work. So if you are someone who feels like work is always at the front of your mind or you're someone whose kids have asked you to put your phone down and play with them, that one hurts. I Felix has said that to me once or twice, and those are like put a pin in it moments. Something has to change. If that sounds like you, then I've got a few practical ways to begin to get some separation. And these might sound extreme at first, but maybe, I mean, maybe that's exactly what our culture needs. In days of extreme work addiction and extreme hours, maybe we could benefit from a set of extreme boundaries. So tactic number one, take email off your phone. I said this on stage during a keynote talk once and oh my gosh, you could hear a pin drop. I almost expected like a collective (gasps) gasp and like the clutching of pearls. Like what? Take email off my phone? Are you insane? I mean, maybe, but I know that I feel a lot less scattered and a lot less worried about work when I am not constantly checking my inbox. So I took email off my phone in 2013 or 2014 and I have not looked back and I did it because I checking Gmail had become almost a tick like I'd open my phone to do something not email related and then my thumb would like immediately and almost involuntarily drift over to the mail icon maybe we'd be at a restaurant and Matt would get up to use the restroom and I would check email or we'd be sitting in a red light and I would check email at a you know family gathering and the conversation turns to a topic that I don't care about you guessed it I would check my email The ease of that accessibility of this mini computer that I always have with me, the ease of that accessibility meant that work was never far from top of mind and non-urgent tasks began to feel urgent simply because they were at the top of my inbox. So I may be having a, a perfectly lovely weekend and whoops, check my email and then you see that you have a client who's having trouble accessing your gallery and all of a sudden it feels like an emergency, a fire that has to be put out right away. Instead of realizing, like, I can just wait until Monday. 
So then when I get back into my office on Monday, there was this dent in my energy and my enthusiasm because I had never really had a chance to rest and recharge over the weekend. Taking email off of your phone introduces a level of friction. James Clear talks about this in his book, Atomic Habits. Such a good book. There's a reason it's been on the bestseller list for like 400 years. (laughs) That's an exaggeration. The book came out like 10 years. I don't know how long ago the book came out, but it's not been 400 years. But anyway, it's been on the bestseller list for a long time. And he talks about the concept of putting, of of creating intentional friction between you and habits that you want to quit. And that friction makes it more difficult for you to default into an easy, undesirable behavior. It's kind of like if you're trying to eat gluten-free, then an easy solution to that is to stop buying gluten-full foods. Like remove the item from your pantry, and then it's harder to cave into those late night cravings for, I don't know, Kit Kat bars, guilty as charged. Those are so easy to eat when you're hungry. But it's harder to give into those late night cravings because now instead of just reaching into your pantry and pulling out a Kit Kat bar, you would have to put on your shoes and grab a coat and find your keys and get in the car and drive to the grocery store to get one. And that's too much work <laughs> for me, especially, you know, like 1030 at night. I'm not going to do that. Probably just have a scoop of peanut butter instead. So you're not making it impossible to access gluten, but you are making it more difficult. So if for some reason you legitimately needed Kit Kat bars, I can't think of an occasion when that would be relevant except for Halloween. But if you found that you legitimately needed something with gluten in it, you could go get it. But by introducing friction, you are causing your brain to ask, do I really want to do this? Or can I allow my laziness to work in my favor by removing the temptation that I don't really want to give into in the first place? So if you really need to check your email at 11 p.m. or on a weekend, let's say you have a shoot the next day and you are doing some last minute preparation and there was something that you needed to check, like information the stylist sent over and you need to check your email at 11 p.m., you can do that. Sometimes that does happen. But in those instances, you can pull out your laptop. But that step alone of having to pull out my laptop is usually enough to convince me that no, I don't really need to satisfy my curiosity that badly. I'll just I'll just wait till I'm in the office because normally my curiosity is not about work-related things. Or if it is about a work-related thing, it's not time sensitive and it can wait. This might be a humbling reminder, but there is no such thing as a brand photography emergency. Short of a set burning down the day before a shoot or a client getting really sick, there is no reason why my clients should need 24-7 access to me and they would agree with that sentiment. And if you're a wedding photographer, same rule goes. If you are truly concerned about your clients needing to be able to reach you within a couple of days of their session or their wedding day, then simply create an email template that gets sent out a couple of days before you are due to shoot that includes your phone number. We have that as part of our SOP for our brand clients. It was part of my SOP when I shot weddings. We did it before the engagement session um, so that they had my number. And so the day before a shoot, my assistant sends out an email with a reminder of what time me and my assistant are arriving on set And a note that says something like, hey, heads up, Abby doesn't keep email on her phone. So if you need to reach her between now and the start of your session, give her a call or shoot her a text at 703 blah, blah, blah. I remember that feeling being really hard with weddings because your clients, they are planning a personal event on personal time, which means that they were usually reaching out 
outside of business hours, but that doesn't mean that you need to be immediately available. It is okay for you to establish that you will respond when you are next at your desk. That is not discompassionate. That doesn't mean you don't care about your clients. It just means that you're committed to being fully present at work. We talked about this in season four, episode six, titled, You Need an Email Signature. And I put my office hours into my email signature as another reminder that I am not in my inbox 24-7. Strongly recommend giving that episode a listen if you're not already using email signatures as a way to establish credibility and authority and yes, lay some boundaries. The second step you can take is a lot like step number one, remove distracting apps during your downtime or at the very least sign out of them. I can't remember exactly when I started doing this, but I think it was sometime before Felix was born. I was tired of defaulting to scrolling on Instagram when I got bored on a Saturday night because I would see this flood of work from other wedding photographers or brand photographers who had been out working that day or that week and would immediately start to feel insecure. And that's my own crap to deal with. But as we all know, social media presents our best possible selves with our biggest accomplishments. So when you're scrolling because you're bored and you're doing nothing of consequence, only to see everyone else's recent big wins and best portfolio work, this is a breeding ground for feelings of not enoughness to come into bloom and just flourish. And I was tired of that feeling interrupting an otherwise lovely time. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I remember Matt and I were in London. It's like 10 years ago. We were in London at the airport. We were getting ready to fly home from this incredible two-week adventure in Europe that had been one of the most inspiring trips I had ever taken. Like I can put it down, like my career changed after that trip to Europe because it was so inspiring. And while we were standing in line waiting for our boarding group to be called, uh, I think it was Heathrow, um, I was scrolling through social media and I saw photos of this incredible vacation that a friend of mine had taken to the Caribbean. And wouldn't you know, ungrateful me sat there legitimately pouting when I had just had the actual time of my life. Bless Matt. He gently called me out on it. Um, God, I mean, I was like being a petulant child, like, oh my gosh, we just had this amazing Europe vacation, but look what she got. It's like, Abby, keep your eyes on your own paper. Thank you, Jesus, for husbands who gently call us out on this kind of thing. What I'm, what I'm trying to say, like, I don't, that's a heart issue, right? I don't fault Instagram for the fact that I struggle with insecurity. But what I am trying to say is that I want to control when I encounter that kind of thing as much as possible, with, especially with a voluntary app like Instagram. I want to encounter that thing, that kind of thing when I'm in a state of mind that's ready to receive it, not whenever I catch myself needing a hit of dopamine because I'm bored or because I'm feeling insignificant and maybe I'm hoping whatever app I love will give me a dose of encouragement. So signing out of an app is sometimes enough. I love Voxer. It's a walkie-talkie app, and it is very easy for me to default to checking that over the weekends or during breaks for me to just open up that app and, and check for new voice memos from my coach or uh, from my mastermind friends or, as Ron Swanson calls them, workplace proximity associates. <laughs> so whenever I catch myself doing that, I sign out of Voxer. I don't want that hit of dopamine enough to re-sign in because just pulling the app up and seeing that login screen reminding me that I made the intentional choice to log out, that is enough to remind me that I'm not supposed to be in Voxer because I use Voxer exclusively for work. There is no personal reason why I should be in Voxer. It is just work-related. But 
social media has a stronger pull for me because I can justify getting on the app for non for non work reasons. So maybe I want to check in and I, and see how my best friend is doing, see if she's posted anything since her surgery, or maybe I want to see if my favorite athletic apparel company has hinted at any new launches because they do that every few weeks and they usually do it over the weekends. And because I follow both personal and work-related accounts on Instagram, I cannot separate those two. So I might pull up the app to check on Crowned Athletics' recent stories and then also happen to see that my competition just worked with one of my past clients, which would immediately cause me to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough, my time is over, I'm like irrelevant, blah, blah, blah. All of that imposter syndrome crap that my brain loves to throw at me when I'm already feeling insecure. So I signed into Instagram to check on something positive, an athletic company that I love, and ended up getting hit with all of these feelings of imposter syndrome. This is why I delete the apps on the weekends. So I delete them. I delete Instagram. I don't usually have Facebook on my phone. I don't really use TikTok. Um, but I delete social media apps on the weekends. And sometimes in the evenings during the week, if I catch myself defaulting to to opening up Instagram over and over, maybe like posted a reel and I want to keep checking back to like engage with the comments or check how many views that it has. Um, and I find myself opening the app over and over, I'll just delete it on like a Monday night and then re-upload it on Tuesday morning. Because then if I want to cheat on my own rules, then I have to pull up the app store and search for Instagram and re-download it, which is like three conscious choices to violate my own boundaries. And like re-downloading the app isn't that big of a deal if I have something productive to share with my audience. Like maybe I've got a new post I wanna share or you know, I like let a bunch of DMs pile up over the weekend because I posted something on a Friday and now it's Monday morning and I wanna respond to those. It's not that big a deal to re-download the app, but it feels like too much of a step, too much of a series of steps to take if I know I'm only looking to get on the app to scroll when I'm bored. If I have something urgent and personal that I want to check over the weekend, then I can pull out my laptop or I can download the app and then check whatever account it is that I wanted to keep up with and then re-delete the app. I know that sounds cumbersome and that is the point. I want to introduce as much friction as possible between me and that undesirable behavior of bored scrolling. It also helps me to remember that these apps, they are primarily work tools, which means that the most appropriate time to employ them is during my designated work hours. So if you're a plumber, I'm guessing you don't walk around with a plunger and a drain snake when you're out and about with your family because those are work tools and you are not at work. But the nature of social media, and again, that ease with which we access it from, from our phones, that blurs the line so easily between personal and professional. So we have to learn to recognize work tools for what they are. They are tools to get a job done. Is Instagram fun? Yeah, it can be. Does it feel good to open an email and see that there's a new inquiry waiting for you? Of course it does. But these apps are simply tools that we use in the greater scope of our profession. Social media would rather that you regard it as a fun place to hang out instead of just a tool that accomplishes a specific purpose. For me, that's the purpose is helping me grow my business. And when we default to that fun, cool place to hang out behavior, that steals hours of our lives and takes us out of being present during quality time with others. I cannot tell you, and I hope my parents don't listen to this episode, but I cannot tell you the number of times I have asked my dad to put his phone away during family gatherings because he's looking at this game or he's checking Facebook. And it may not seem like a big deal to you to pull out your phone for a quick peek at your DMs or your Instagram notifications. But the people around you, they notice. 
And it sucks to feel like someone that you're spending time with would rather be on their phone interacting with work acquaintances or followers than they would to sit face to face with you for some quality time because that may not be the intended message that's being sent, but that's what's being communicated. So delete the app or log out, whichever you choose. But when we introduce the friction of making an app harder to access, we are helping to remind our brains that work tools are for work and personal time is worth protecting. The only caveat that I would offer to deleting apps is that if you have drafts saved, maybe like a bunch of in-progress reels that you've been working on, do not delete the app as it will also delete your drafts alongside with it. I have learned that one the hard way. So simply sign out instead and then when you log back in the next time you're at your desk, all your hard work will be sitting there waiting for you. But then because I do know myself and I do know that if I'm feeling bored enough, I will jump over all of those hurdles that I've introduced, consequences be darned, So because of that, I have an extra layer of barrier in the form of the Freedom app. This episode is not sponsored or endorsed. I just really love this app. I know some folks set a lot of store by the time limits that you can impose on certain apps with your iPhone, Um, but I love the Freedom app because it's a little bit harder to get around. Again, there's a little bit more friction there. So Freedom is $40 a year, and that is some of the best money that I have ever spent in business and in order to protect my personal time. So I use Freedom on both mobile and desktop, and the app works to block whatever apps or URLs that you have deemed to be problematic or distracting. So the most common way that I use it is with recurring blocks that I have set up on my phone. So I have one set for 3 p.m. to 8 a.m., Monday to Friday, which blocks social media apps, email, and then any any websites that I tend to gravitate towards when I'm bored, like BBC. I love checking the news. I don't know. I just, I love checking the news and that can turn into a major time suck. So my workday ends at 3 p.m., which means the block list enacts itself automatically. I don't have to do anything. It just automatically comes on and uh, starts blocking those problematic apps and URLs as soon as my workday ends and then it expires that block list expires around the time that I'm getting into the office the next day so I have the same set of apps and URLs blocked from 3 p.m Friday to 8 a.m Monday so that I don't start scrolling on a Sunday morning when I'm procrastinating like getting out for my long run I can sign out of the freedom app if I truly need to access an app like if I'm like oh my gosh I need to access Instagram okay I'm going to go to the app store I'm going to download Instagram I'm going to log into Instagram and then I'm going to log out of the freedom app that's four layers of protection there Uh, so if I truly need to access something on my phone I can but again there is no such thing as a brand photography emergency more often than not uh, if I decide I want to check something on social media I want to check a running related account on Instagram, something like that, then I can choose to either jump over all of those hurdles that I've enacted for myself, or I can pull out my laptop. And I'll tell you, I hate being on my laptop during non-work hours. So if I choose that route, I know that I'm going to make it as quick of a check as possible so that I can then shut down my computer and return to whatever it was I was doing before. So the Freedom app makes it less necessary to delete those problematic apps. If you have a block set up and you try to open up Instagram, then the Freedom app blocks it from updating. It's as if you don't have any internet service. So whenever you last pulled up Instagram and it refreshed, that's what you will see until your time block expires. It will allow updates again once that time block expires. And for me, it's just another little nudge to consider, Abby, is this really what you're supposed to be doing with your time? Not just supposed to, but like, Abby, is this really what you want to be doing with your time? Again, if I'm really determined to break my own rules, I can find a way around it. But by introducing multiple layers of friction, I am less likely to fall back into old habits simply because I have made them harder to access. 
My other favorite way to use the Freedom app is with their shorter focus sessions. So if I'm working from my laptop and I hit a roadblock or uh, something's taking a minute to load or I'm just itching for a distraction, then my default hit of dopamine is to navigate over to the Instagram, Facebook, or BBC desktop site. And I don't want to block those permanently on my desktop because there, there are appropriate times to use those with work. And also it's okay to want to check the news, but those constant hits of distraction as a default behavior, those can and frequently do make getting into a, a state of deep work impossible. I love how Cal Newport phrases it in his book, Digital Minimalism. He says, the urge to check Twitter or refresh Reddit can become a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. Boom, like right there. I remember reading that back in 2019 and being like, oh my gosh, yes, that's what it did. Like the, it feels innocuous. Like, oh, I'm editing a Lightroom catalog and I've just hit this photo that's like causing me a little bit of trouble. Like, I'll just check Instagram really quick. And then it fractures your time. And then you check your email and it fractures your time again. It fractures your attention. So I don't want to prevent myself from ever being able to access those sites. But when I really need to buckle down and focus, often for something like writing a podcast episode or crafting new lessons for our students, then I will set up a 60 to 90 minute block of distracting websites and apps not being accessible so that I can focus on the task at hand. So then if I try to access BBC, when I hit a moment of writer's block, then my browser redirects to blocked.freedom.2 with a green screen and a note that says, you are free, enjoy this moment. And you might hear all of this and think that I am a total wackadoo. Like, geez, Abby, everybody is distracted these days. Don't you think you're being a little bit of a zealot? Maybe. But as somebody who was diagnosed with ADHD from the time I was in elementary school, I know how hard it is to reach a state of uninterrupted focus. And when I do manage to get there, I want to protect it at all costs. I am not demonizing work. I love what I do. And I know you feel the same about your own business, but I love my life outside of work even more. And I want my kids and my family and my loved ones to get the best of my energy, not just what's left of me or not a one foot in, one foot out version of me. I want my kids to know that they have my full attention when I am outside of the office, not feel like I'm constantly distracted or constantly thinking about other things. It's Scott O'Neill's concept of be where your feet are. Where my body is, I want my heart and my mind to be there as well. Here's your homework. The next time you catch yourself default scrolling on whatever app it is that you gravitate towards, especially if it's a time when you are not working, log out. You don't have to go full on AG and delete the app and enact a freedom block on it, but just just log out and see how it feels because it's going to be really uncomfortable at first. You're going to want to log back in because that tick to check your phone is a deeply ingrained behavior for a lot of people that most people do not give a second thought to. They just give into it. But I would encourage you to ride out those feelings, that discomfort. When you feel the temptation to pick up your phone, only to be reminded that you logged out of that app, ask yourself, what is the actual root of what I'm feeling right now? Sometimes it is truly a feeling of curiosity, of wanting to know how so-and-so is doing, or wanting to see the photos from your friend's baby shower that you weren't able to attend. But, but other times, it's a less constructive feeling that we're avoiding, like trying to cure the discomfort of boredom instead of sitting with it and letting our minds wander, which that's where creativity often happens. So log out of that app, and when you get the urge to pick up your phone, ask yourself why. 
Did this episode make you think twice about some of your own default behaviors? Because if so, I would love to hear from you. Come say hi on Instagram, but you know, like during whatever hours you have deemed that it's a good time to be on the app. You can find me at Abby Grace Photo. Coming up in the next episode, we'll be talking about failure and more specifically, failing forward. I'll be sharing about a very recent failure that's been a pretty tough pill for me to swallow and how we're moving forward with confidence instead of letting it cloud my every decision. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode and head over to abbygrace.co slash podcast for even more resources to help you blow your clients away at your very next brand shoot. I'm Abby Grace and I'll see you next time. Now, let's go get after it, shall we?